Hey, today on the Scottsdale Podcast, we are going to hear a message from our children's pastor, Ryan Lambert, entitled, Familiar Followers, A Warning Against Overconfidence. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everybody. I have kids ministry energy, so I hope you're ready for it, okay? Welcome to the year 2022. Um, it's amazing that it's been over a year since I've had the opportunity to stand before you in this way, but I'm very excited and encouraged to be able to deliver God's word to you. And I have to tell you, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this past official year of being the children's pastor, although I've kind of been operating in that for a while. It's been a great year, and I see God doing a wonderful work uh, in the next generation here. So I praise the Lord for that. And thank you for entrusting me and my wife, Summer, in this role and encouraging us in it. I really appreciate that. So as we jump into the year 2022, you might expect me to talk about New Year's resolutions, right? Or maybe a New Year's vision. Sorry to disappoint, I'm not really the mainstream type of guy, um, so you won't be hearing that this morning. We're gonna be looking at something else. And as I reflected and looked on this, I thought about the last two years as kind of has already been mentioned on the platform, these last two years have been a roller coaster, haven't they? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Our church has been tested and tried, as has every church in the world over the past 22 months. We have seen some churches dismantled by the mounting pressures placed on them. We have seen some churches lose their influence because of their unwillingness to hold on to the truth. Even our church, I believe, has been tested and tried, and yet the Lord has preserved us and has been so faithful and has given our leaders the the wisdom necessary to navigate these truly treacherous times. And while many churches are closing their doors, ours are flung wide open, and we have seen a steady increase in the people that have come and joined us. I've been amazed at the amount of new members that we've um, had come in the last year. And almost without exception, some statement is made to the effect of, by these new members saying, we can't find a church that preaches the true gospel. Nowhere else is committed to standing on the truth of God's word. Now, I have to believe there's some hyperbole in this, right? I know there's other faithful gospel preaching churches in Wilmington, but I know what people are saying. And I agree that here at Scotts Hill, there is a fierce attention to God's glory, There is a dependence upon God's word and there is a focus on gospel proclamation. It is rare and it is beautiful. We are familiar and we are closely acquainted with the truth of God. I believe we are truly in a wonderful place, amen? Amen. But because of the way that God has richly blessed us and because of our familiarity with the things of God, I also believe church that we are in a dangerous place. I want you to hear these startling words from one of my favorite pastors, Chuck Swindoll, as he talks about a life consumed with the things of God. Hear these words. You are in a dangerous place. The more time you spend here, the more dangerous it will become because you are being stalked. There's no place you can hide from the stalker. He sneaks around all parts of the worship service and comes to one place after another, including where you're sitting and whispers into your ear. He visits every classroom, every room filled with adults or teenagers or even preteens. He's in every committee meeting, every planning meeting, every elders meeting, every staff meeting, 
every men's meeting and women's meeting and men's retreat and women's retreat. He's at every Bible study. The longer you spend time engaged in the things about the church, the more easily the stalker will steal from you and in fact, carry out a plan to kill something within you. He's a thief as well as a killer. And what does he steal? He steals your excitement. He kills your enthusiasm. Who is this predator, this invisible but powerful thief and killer? He's overexposure. Overexposure, becoming so familiar with spiritual truth, singing spiritual songs, attending spiritual meetings, planning spiritual programs, activities, involvements, that you become ultimately weary and well-doing and you lose heart. If you stay in this setting too long, you will lose your awe of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I'm so grateful for you and for your heart for us. And Lord, this, although it is a very heavy message, Father, there's mercy in this. Because Father, everything given and everything written in the scripture is for our instruction and our learning. And Father, we are moved by these words from Chuck Swindoll because they're true. Because we see, especially those of us that have been around the church for a long time, that Father, we are prone to turn away. We are prone to become prideful. So Lord, I pray over all of us, me included today, and everyone listening to the sound of my voice, that we would all renew our awe of you today. That we would all be humbled at your throne today. That today, Lord, your word would renew in us a wonder of who you are. Lord, we love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, every child of God sitting here is prone to become so used to God and so accustomed to spiritual things that sacred realities actually just become common. Being daily inundated with copies of scripture and version plans and Twitter quotes and countless commentaries and books and resources, we become familiar, don't we? Especially for those of us that have grown up in the church, I'm one of them, I'm sure many of you are. We have done it all, and in fact, we literally have the t-shirt to prove it. Now, I have to ask, is there anything necessarily wrong with being familiar with Christ? No, to, to be familiar is simply to know something or someone well, to have a long or close association with something or someone. And I believe that when familiarity leads to awe, we deepen our relationship with God. We can, we can increasingly grow a deeper love for him as we get to know him more and more. And this, this type of healthy cycle is the goal of our walk with Christ. As we grow closer with him and are more familiar, we're, we're struck by his greatness and we're in awe of him. We're humbled by our weakness. We end up seeking him and finding him and we're purified and we're strengthened. We enjoy the richness of his presence as he reveals the intimate plans of his heart to us. But church, this isn't often what we experience, is it? This is not the cycle that we often enjoy. We tend to get derailed and let our familiarity become unhealthy. Instead of letting the awe and the wonder fan the flame of our devotion, we become self-satisfied and overconfident. Or as the old saying goes, I bet you know it, familiarity breeds contempt. 
And I believe when familiarity leads to overconfidence that we fall into sin. We have a choice. We can renew our awe and we can fear God for who he is or we can become smug and we can fall into these sins of pride, complacency, and even idolatry. Instead of worshiping God who knows it all, we who think we know it all end up worshiping ourselves and we stumble into a host of other sins. So turn with me today to our main text. It's gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Of course, it will be on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Our main text today is gonna be the first 13 verses, but I hope you're ready. We're gonna be jumping to some Old Testament passages as well, because I want you to see what Paul is referring to. We're gonna be considering the children of Israel and learning what not to do when it comes to being familiar with God. Specifically, we're gonna see all the divine privileges that the children of Israel enjoyed and yet their shocking sinful response. But before you think too much of yourself or give yourself a pat on the back, I, I want you to remember that this message is for you today. Everything that happened in the Old Testament, says Romans 15:4, was written for our instruction that through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So today, brothers and sisters, the ball is in your court because the Lord is speaking to you. So as we jump into our main text, I want us to read that verses one through 13, 1 Corinthians 10. And we're gonna use a little kids ministry strategy. You okay with that? Have a little fun today, because I know this is heavy. So I'm gonna read verses one through 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. And in the first five verses, it says the word all several times. So what I want you to do is every time the word all comes up, I want you to say it with me. You up for the challenge? All right, let's do it. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So Paul is speaking obviously here to the church in? Good, okay, this is gonna be kids ministry, okay? A little bit of interaction here. A church familiar with the rich blessings of God, but yet shockingly rife with smug overconfidence. You can't get past one chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians without seeing this. 
In chapter one, they boast about their earthly possessions. In chapter three, they quarrel over their associations. In chapter four, they judge other people harshly. In chapter five, they justify blatant sexual sin. In chapter eight, they show off their knowledge. And in chapter nine, they claim to be free while becoming enslaved to their own fleshly passions. So to this overconfident church, Paul writes and warns by giving them an amazing illustration from history. And as he begins, he wants the Corinthians to understand that the Israelites like them all enjoyed divine privileges that belong to God's children. So let's look more deeply at verses one through five and let's see what those privileges are. First, we see that Israel enjoyed God's glorious guidance. Look at the very first part of our text. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. The cloud, what do you mean, Paul? Well, he's referring to Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So probably common knowledge to you, but the, he's speaking of the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel. As they were miraculously delivered from Egypt in a similarly miraculous way, God guided them both day and night with a sign in the sky. He cared for them and he directed their steps continually. The reality was there wasn't one child of Israel who was not familiar with God's glorious guidance. So God guided, but secondly, Israel enjoyed God's pivotal protection. Look at the next couple of verses. All passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So not only did God guide his people, but he relentlessly protected them. And at pivotal life or death moments, he guarded his children and kept them safe from harm. Now, of course, here Paul is referring to the miraculous deliverance of the Israelites from Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. We don't have time to look at that today. If you wanna look at it, amazing story in Exodus chapter 14. But another kid's ministry strategy, put your thinking caps on for a second. We gotta put our thinking caps on, that's right. Imagine, Imagine the emotions that the Israelites must have felt the rush of adrenaline when they were walking through these walls of water, knowing that God was fighting for them and was protecting them. Imagine the praise and the thanks and the worship they must have given him when they crossed safely to the other side and they literally watched Pharaoh's army swallowed up by the sea. God protected his people Israel. We also see that Israel enjoyed God's persistent provision Look at verse three, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Again, I ask, what do you mean here, Paul? Well, let's jump to Exodus chapter 16, 16, excuse me. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. What about this water? Let's look at chapter 17 of Exodus. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So in an amazing display of mercy, God listened to his people's cry for food and water and gave them daily supplies of manna from heaven and water. Can you believe it? From a rock. 
as they traveled in the wilderness, a lot like us, they were obsessed with what they were gonna eat and what they were gonna drink. God provided daily for them, purposely a limited supply that forced them to rely on his gracious daily care. So God provided for them. Fourthly, Israel enjoyed God's powerful presence. Look at verse four, incredible verse. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Now this isn't your garden variety rock, is it? This is rock with a capital R. This rock is a person, the text tells us who it is. It is literally the pre-incarnate Christ who is going with them in the wilderness. Better than food for their stomach or water for their thirst, they had the living water. They had the bread of life following them in the wilderness. They had the ultimate satisfier, sustainer, protector and provider with them, more wonderful and more intimate than a cloud in the sky or a pillar of fire at night. They had Christ their savior with them. So Israel enjoyed all these divine privileges. How much more do we enjoy them, church? If God required obedience and faith from the children of Israel for those blessings, how much more does he require of us? We experience the fullness of God's grace through our relationship with Jesus, and this should set us up perfectly for our relationship with him, right? How much more do we enjoy God's glorious guidance? Better and clearer than a cloud in the sky, but the internal compass of the Holy Spirit directing us into paths of righteousness. How much more do we enjoy God's persistent provision as we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? How much more do we enjoy God's pivotal protection? Better and stronger than the passing between two walls of water, but the protection of our souls against the fires of hell. How much more, church, do we enjoy God's powerful presence? Better and more permanent than the fleeting and veiled view of the Old Testament, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and nothing can separate us from God's love. So the children of Israel, we see they're familiar with God. They're familiar with his heart. They had everything they needed to please him. And church, so do we to an even greater degree. So I want all this to come now to verse five and I want you to be as shocked and startled as I am when we see what happens after knowing about all these blessings, look at verse five with me. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. <clears throat> what happened here? What went wrong? Instead of familiarity leading to awe in the children of Israel for all the blessings in their lives, it led to overconfidence in most of them. It led to God overthrowing them or in other words, laying them low in the wilderness. What should have fostered a deeper relationship, a greater trust, a sweeter fellowship, instead led to contempt. There's no water, Moses. What are we gonna drink? Give us water to drink. Why did you bring us here, Moses? You brought us here to kill us and our children and our livestock. Ugh, manna. When can we have something other than manna? Manna for breakfast, manna for lunch. We're sick of manna. Who will feed us meat 
We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt. Why is the Lord bringing us in this land to die by the sword? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Let's appoint a leader and go back to slavery in Egypt. You see, the children of Israel had fostered an unhealthy familiarity with God. They had become well acquainted with his presence, but they lost their admiration. The rush of emotion and the deep affection they had for their deliverer on that day they crossed the sea had faded. The cloud that represented God's presence was now just an everyday sight. The manna was tasteless and bland. The water, insufficient. The leadership, inadequate. Here's the thing. I believe we're a lot like the children of Israel, aren't we? When we become carelessly familiar with God and we let that familiarity lead us to overconfidence, we can become impatient. We don't wait for God. We can become irrational. We don't seek God. And we can even become impudent. We don't respect God. And when we're in this frame of mind, we, we can get bored and tired. Did I really say that in church? Yes, we can get bored and tired of God though we wouldn't readily admit it. We lose our patience for him. We get antsy. We get discontented. When we see that our prayers aren't being answered the way that we would like, we move into action and we seek to solve it ourselves, often creating a bigger mess. In all of this, we end up losing our awe. We lose our respect for God and it leads us into sin. So I want us to see where Paul goes here. Let's look at the next several verses in our main text, 1 Corinthians 10 verses six through 10, read along with me. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So we see that when familiarity leads us to overconfidence, we fall into sin. This is the very thing that happened to the children of Israel. And amazingly, it didn't just lead to one type of sin either. It led to a host of sins, sins of idolatry. In other words, sins that replace God with another object of worship. And you may ask, why, why are we talking about this? It's because I truly believe that these sins are characteristic of those who become unhealthily familiar with God. Those that are around the things of God, but maybe even this morning you sit here and you are beginning to lose your awe of him. So what do we see in the children of Israel? First, we see Israel indulging in sexual immorality. Look what it says again in verse seven and eight. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. When it says play here, that's not like soccer or football. That is a euphemism for sexual actions. So this is obviously talking about sexual immorality. And the reality was Israel was bored with God. They didn't get the FaceTime they wanted. And when they did get it, they were scared out of their minds. More than that, God didn't work on their timetable. In the 
what he's talking about here is an episode in Exodus 32, and you guys probably know it well. The people of Israel are in a frenzy because Moses is up in some kind of rendezvous with God on the mountain. And so the people coerce Moses' brother Aaron into making a golden calf to worship. The people, I think you would all agree, were impatient. They were irrational and they were impudent. They had no respect for the greatness of God. So they were content with taking the unimaginable God and whittling down into their little image, someone to worship. And with God and Moses not around, they took the opportunity to indulge their fleshly desires and to idolize their pleasure. So what happened? Let's read in Exodus 32. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. So Moses pleaded with God to have mercy on his people because God had a reputation of being a saving God. But nonetheless, there were very dire consequences for their sin. Let's look and see what those were in Exodus 32. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Now, those of you that are paying attention and have an eye for detail, you might say, wait a second, Ryan. Verse 28 here says that 3,000 people died, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that 23,000 people died. Well, scholars do debate that difference, but it's easy to assume that the plague that God sent at the end of Exodus 32 caused many more people to perish. So this is staggering. I want us to take a moment and, and think about our lives. It's staggering and sobering for us as we consider our own propensity towards sexual sin, isn't it? We have become, I believe, so cavalier toward what we watch on Netflix, on Hulu, even on Disney+. What we allow to scroll before our eyes on social media, what used to cause us to shudder is now acceptable in our eyes. We justify our actions by measuring ourselves against the person next to us instead of against the holy God who requires that holiness, holiness in us. And I believe we need to be on guard, church. There is abundant mercy to be sure in God, but there are also consequences for sexual sin. And I believe when we let familiarity lead us to overconfidence, we can fall into the same trap. So we see sexual immorality. Secondly, we see Israel testing God. Look at verse nine again. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Whew. 
What are you referring to here, Paul? Let's look at the account in the book of Numbers. Numbers 21. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So the people of Israel clearly here were impatient again. They were blatantly distrusting in God's plan and his intentions to care for them. Their familiarity with God's blessings led them to speak against him and demand what their hearts really wanted. They idolized their own knowledge and wisdom of what was best. Surely they fell to that same serpent-like lie of the Garden of Eden. Do you children of Israel believe that God is taking care of you? Look how hot and dirty you are in that desert. See how little you have to eat and drink. If God cared about you, he would have allowed you to stay in the lush treasures of Egypt and not in here, this desert desert wasteland. And brothers and sisters, I believe this is the same craftiness that tempts our own hearts today, isn't it? Do you really believe God is taking care of you? I mean, your marriage is a mess. You can't do anything right. Would God really want you to struggle that much? There's something wrong with you. It doesn't look like God's helping. You better figure it out yourself. Just like the children of Israel, I believe that we're tempted to test God. Was not even Jesus Christ himself tempted to test God in his own wilderness test in Matthew chapter four? Our familiarity leads us to overconfidence in our own knowledge and wisdom. Like Israel, we forget that our wisdom is foolishness before God. We question God not for information or clarification, but for accusation. And as we can see here in this incredible account in Numbers, God doesn't take lightly to testing him. It is an affront to his character and to his heart. So we see the testing, but also thirdly, we see Israel grumbling against God. You might say, what's the difference? Well, here in verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. When Paul says grumble here, he's meaning someone who mutters or murmurs or someone who is discontent and goes complaining. And he's specifically thinking about a certain account in Numbers chapter 16. So let's jump there and let's look at what he's talking about. What is this grumbling about? Number 16. Now Korah, the son of Esau, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, 
You've gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he said to Korah and his company, in the morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. So Korah and his cronies, they rose up against Moses and they grumbled about his leadership. Korah knew that God appointed Moses and that complaining against Moses was essentially complaining against God. But for Korah, familiarity with God led to overconfidence in his own ability to lead and caused him to fall into sin. Korah had self-rule as his idol. He didn't want to be under the mastery of anyone but himself. He didn't want to take orders or to be held accountable. This hits a little too close to home for us, doesn't it? Self-rule is a favorite idol of ours. We hate being accountable to someone else. Especially in our country, we pride ourselves on being independent and masters of our own destiny. We adopt the Declaration of Independence and wave it over our own life, desiring to call the shots and to determine what's best for us. Our familiarity to God makes us vulnerable to thinking that we're superior somehow to the leadership that God has placed in our life and they can't be trusted. I've even heard some in the church claim, God is my leader, so I am under no man's authority. Brothers and sisters, that's contrary to what scripture teaches. We are to honor our leaders and submit to them as to the Lord. So in all of this, we see that when familiarity leads to overconfidence, we fall into sin. And you may ask Ryan, whew, it's a lot. I admit it is. Why are we going through all these details about the children of Israel? What does that have to do with us here on January 2nd, 2022? Why are we taking the time to see their mistakes and the account of God's dealings with them? I love it when scripture answers our questions. Keep reading with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Friends, what happened to Israel is for our instruction. And there's good news here, isn't there? We're being warned. God wants us to see the cliff before the cliff is even in our sight. And there's great hope because the temptation to be overconfident is common to man. And God who is faithful will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to endure. But if we're being honest, we'd have to admit that we let our long and close association with God not fuel our awe for him, but instead magnify our pride and our self-satisfaction. We find ourselves between two cycles. We find ourselves in a fight to be in the top, but we find ourselves instead becoming familiar in an unhealthy way. So as we close today, I want us to consider what do we do if we're in this place? 
And the Lord has really dealt with my own heart in this over the last few years. I'm telling you, working in ministry, it's hard because the things of God can so easily become common. It can so easily just turn into a motion that we do. But I know that's true not just of me, that's true of a lot of us. And so I want to ask the question, what do we do if we find ourselves in this cycle of overconfidence? How do we come back to the place where familiarity with God leads us to a deep, intimate relationship with him? Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're scratching your head and you're saying, wait, 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 I'm just trying to start a relationship with Jesus. I I don't know what this is. I haven't even had time to become overconfident. Well, today, the question for you is how will you start out this year in awe of God? Not letting the things of God become common to you, but instead being lost in wonder and awe and praise. So as we close up today, I have three points of application and I hope that these will be so practical and so helpful for you to move forward and to grow in your depth of your relationship with Christ this year. How do we avoid this unhealthy cycle? First, we need to live carefully. Live carefully. I want us to see right before our main text, if you just jump up one paragraph, the very end of 1 Corinthians 9, we're gonna gonna see how Paul talks about living carefully, starting in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So the first counsel is this. If you want to avoid overconfidence and the sins that come out of that, Be self-controlled. Watch how you live. Master your body and your urges. Don't be deceived into thinking that you're stronger than you really are. And Paul uses a really amazing word in verse 27. When he says discipline, it's a word that literally means to pummel or to beat up his body. In other words, Paul is saying to take drastic measures to ensure that you don't become disqualified in this Christian life because of careless living. And friends, I wanna encourage you, disqualified doesn't indicate losing your salvation, but rather losing your influence in this life and the joy that you can receive from a fruitful and fulfilling ministry. Paul's not the only one that speaks to this. The writer of Hebrews speaks pointedly about Israel's nature. It's almost like God's commentary on what happened. It's incredible. Let's look at that in Hebrews 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So in God's own commentary on Israel's waywardness, 
He talks about being provoked with the children of Israel. And as a result, we are exhorted to take care. In other words, be careful, church. Watch out, look around, look at your heart and see whether you are walking with the Lord faithfully or not. See if there is familiarity that has led to overconfidence in you, perhaps forming in you an evil, unbelieving heart. Live carefully in this world, beloved. So not only should we live carefully, secondly, I think we need to lean into community. This year, we need to lean into community. The writer of Hebrews continues, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So as we're seeking to live carefully, we need people to come alongside us and help us. Christianity, hear me out, is not an individual sport. It's not a me and Jesus club. We need each other. We are to exhort, to encourage, to call out, to confront, to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is God's means of grace in our lives to keep us on track. Without others speaking into our lives, we will become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, even the sin of overconfidence. So I ask you today, who do you have in your life that will call you out when you start to act prideful? Who will come to you in love and confront you when there's a sin issue in your life? And who are, are you that person to someone else? Who is depending on you today for your exhortation and for your encouragement. As we lean into community, we position ourselves for healthy growth and we avoid falling into temptation. So we live carefully, brothers and sisters. We lean into community and lastly, we listen with faith. We listen with faith. So as we close, let's return to the critical question, what happened with Israel? <laughs> What, what was it? Why was it that they had everything they could have needed to be obedient children, and yet they still let their familiarity lead them down a path of destruction? And then again, what happens with us? Why is it that even though we have everything we could ever need, and we are privileged with heavenly blessing beyond our wildest dreams, why do we still fall into these sinful traps? Again, I love it when the scripture speaks so pointedly and so truly. Look with me at Hebrews 4, 2. Still speaking about the Israel's wilderness wanderings. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Oh, I love this. This is so piercing, right down to the heart of the matter. This is why that we can freely receive all of God's blessings and then hold God in contempt when we're no longer satisfied. We, like Israel, have a faith problem. We don't end up bridging the gap between what we hear and what we believe by faith. For Israel, they, they knew about God, they had seen God, but they didn't fully believe in God's character. 
What they knew and what they had seen wasn't united with faith. Otherwise, they wouldn't have responded the way they did. In our lives, church, I believe it's the same. We know about God, we've seen God's work, but we don't unite what we've seen and heard with a heart that fully receives it by faith. We know it in our heads, but our hearts are disconnected. And when this is the case, the good news lies dormant and ineffective because faith is the means by which we experience the good news. The scripture speaks of this over and over again, for by grace we are saved through faith. For we live by faith and not by sight. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So my counsel to you, church, today is listen with faith. Make sure that what you are hearing week in and week out is being united with faith in your heart. Otherwise, you may find that your familiarity with God's word, with his church, with his people, might just breed contempt in you and lead you to a place of overconfidence. So church, this year, let's let the wonder in. Let's not lose our awe of God. May our familiarity with the things of God and the blessings of God in our lives, may they humble us and may they lead us to a deeper intimacy with him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are very humbled today. We're so grateful for your heart for us. Father, and we know that we are prone to wander in many ways. And Lord, we are prone to become overconfident. What is meant to make us fall on our knees often makes us stand up taller than we should. Father, we recognize that any good thing given and every gift in our life is from you. And so, Father, our desire as we begin this new year is to have a posture of praise, a posture of adoration, a posture of awe before you. Lord, as we grow in our understanding, as we grow in our exposure, Father, may we not become overexposed to the detriment of our souls, but may we continually come to you and ask you to renew the flame in our hearts. Father, there may be some here today that the flame is just a flickering wick. Father, may you douse it with fuel. Father, may you cause our hearts to be ignited for your name. Lord, I'm so grateful for your mercy. You are so merciful to us. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our overconfidence, you humble us and you draw us deeper. Father, I'm so grateful. May your word that has been spoken take root in our hearts and lives. May it find its place in us. Do heart surgery among us today, Lord, for your glory and honor in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottsill.org slash next steps. Till next time.